Hey, this is Bill Kennedy with the Arden Labs podcast, and today our special guest is Wilkin Rivera. Hey, Wilkin, how's it going? All good, all good, Bill. I really appreciate you coming on with us for this hour. I'm really interested to hear your story, really basically around how you got to where you are. So why don't you give everybody about two minutes, two or three minutes of a little bit of who you are and where you're working right now and, and kind of really where you are right now in terms of work and what you're working on that project. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. So hello, everyone. The name's Wilkin Rivera, as Bill said. Where I'm from, so born and raised in New York. I've been in the computer industry or programming industry for about 10 years now, a little more than that. Started out off with uh, some simple scripts, going from PHP, web development, working my way up to operations, and now where I currently am as a senior software engineer for HashiCorp on the Packer team. So on a day-to-day, I'm working on some Go code, figuring out how to get Packer to work and build images across multiple cloud environments. And when I'm not doing that, you know, being involved as much as I can in the community, which is really the whole basis for my story here at being part of the Go community. And when I say being involved, speaking with Bill, figuring out how I can be, you know, how I can be involved uh, with GoBridge, working with fellow gophers on meetups, and just trying to figure out how to pay it forward from the lessons that I've learned sort of growing up. And yeah. All right. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. All right. And I want to get back to maybe near the end of this, more about Packer and, and what you're doing there. But what I love to learn and hear about is kind of like the origin story. So You've been a professional developer for the last 10 years, but what is your kind of first memory that pops in your head about when you were working on a computer? First memory working on a computer. So my brother, uh, it's, I was, I was nine. We had just moved back from Connecticut and my brother actually landed a job doing IT for IBM and he happened to bring me a small desktop. I forget exactly what it was. But that was my first machine there and didn't really know what to do with it, to be honest with you. I wasn't really someone to kind of like, I wasn't following the computer industry at all. I just happened to know about it because my brother was involved and he bought me this machine. So I spent most of my time sort of clicking around Windows and playing solitaire. But (laughs) at that, when I was clicking around, I always thought like, oh man, would it be cool if I can sort of automate some of this this stuff that I'm doing, which again, wasn't much, mostly clicking, but I had this idea of like, oh, wanting to automate. So that was my first interaction with a machine, mostly clicking, thinking about it'd be great to automate and playing solitaire. So nine years old, which puts you probably around fourth grade, and you're already thinking about automating the work that you're doing to play this game. Is that the idea there? Yeah. That's interesting because my business partner, Ed, has the same sort of need to automate things, right? Where I'm like the opposite. Sometimes I feel like if I spend the time to automate this, it could be time that I'm spending just getting it done. And so I've always had this type of trade-off on, do I really want to spend the time to automate this? And if I do is that time worth spent or do I just get this thing done? I guess it depends on how many times you've got to, you've got to run something. So when do you, I want to get back to, to you being nine, but do you have some sort of philosophy around when you should automate something and when you should just 
knuckle down and just get whatever this thing is done? Yeah. So actually, what I've learned is you can't automate something that you actually haven't done, right? So I feel like my philosophy is like at least do it at least once or twice manually to kind of really understand what it is you're trying to do and understand the parts that can and cannot be automated. I think usually the first sort of go-to for folks who are like want to automate is like, all right, let's automate everything so it's repetitive. But the truth of the matter is, is that there are certain things that you can't automate, right? So I generally like to think about if I'm going to automate something, I like to go through it first manually to figure out what are the parts that can definitely be automated and what are the parts that can be semi-automated. And what I mean by that is, hey, I can get to step A, but then there's some sort of manual intervention that needs to happen. And at, at that point, it's like manual intervention, can that be automated or is it purely, is it truly a manual intervention. At that point, it's like, mm, maybe there's too much effort to try to automate. So all in all, I like to take the approach of, let me run through it once or twice. So you kind of get that fact of like, it's done, I did it. And then you use that as a sort of an opportunity to learn whether or not you can actually automate this thing and what would have to be automated. I love that because I meet a lot of people who, I shouldn't say a lot of people, I've met people which doesn't necessarily jive with me who want to like, maybe we'll call it pre-automation, right? Like instead of doing it, they're immediately trying to think about, and I see this in code with abstractions, right? Like start designing with abstractions instead of actually solving the problem first. It's a great correlation here because if you do it once and then you never need to do it again, which is where I always feel like I'm, that's the boat I'm sitting in all the time, then automating it wasn't worth the time. But I love that idea. Like do it once, do it twice. You got to do it a third time. You got to do it a fourth time. Now maybe, maybe it's time to think about automating it. Brilliant. Okay. So you're nine, I guess you're around fourth grade. You got this computer, you're playing solitaire on it, but you're starting to think about how I'm going to make that automate some of that. So let's move, I guess, through high school at that point. So what year are we talking about anyway? Because I think knowing the year becomes important. So what are we talking about in terms of like high school? When you were a freshman in high school, what year roughly are we are we in? Yeah, you're asking me to do math on my date. I can barely remember my birthday. <laughs> uh, I was nine, I think it was, I want to say maybe 96. 96, so four, five, six. So when you started high school, then we're talking about Maybe two thousand. I think I think ninety six is two. Is I was. When did you graduate high school? When did you graduate? So I graduated. There? I graduated in two thousand. So I started high school in ninety six. Ninety six. Okay. So let's go to ninety six because that's interesting. In ninety six, I moved to Miami in ninety four. So it always gives me a good kind of place where we are. Okay. So in ninety six, I have to imagine your high school had had computer classes or software development like. When did you start actually writing code? Was it in high school or, or after? Like It was after. So funny enough, I went to a high school for arts and technology and I got it. For wait, for what type of technology? For arts. So music, Art. ah. photography, and technology. And I didn't get into any of the technology classes. In fact, I, whatever I applied for was full. And then the after school programs that were happening, I didn't know about they were happening until it was too late. So in high school... School-wise, didn't do much of anything with tech. It was mostly, believe it or not, dance and art that I got into. Art like in 
painting and, and that type of stuff? Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't any good at it, but I took it. <laughs> and uh, at least I got an opportunity. I can draw a really good bag. I tell you that much. I learned that. <laughs> <laughs> and fruit. <laughs> Your notepads during meetings, I'm sure, look better than mine because I got zero talent there. Yeah, but uh, so yeah, so during high school, not not much coding other than like what I was learning at home. And I'll get to that in a second. But for high school, I got into dance and I took dance for quite a bit, which was pretty cool. And then, and then, like I said, the art. And then for tech, it was really at home. Again, just sort of chatting with my brother. At that point, it was less of coding and more of trying to sort of mimic what he was doing. So, you know, he would come home and he would tell me about the stuff he's worked on. And like I said, he was mostly IT. So he was either dealing with, with networks or, or hardware support. So he was in the job force already. He was working professionally yes. already. Okay. So he, he had got me a laptop, an external CD-ROM and all these great hookups. And that was my setup. And then I broke it. So then he was like, all right, fix it. You know, I'm not going to help you. So you figure that out. I learned at that time, I'm not really good with little things. My hands are kind of big. So I never fixed some of it, but the laptop was working. So that was good. I should say I didn't get a chance to fix everything, but the laptop that was working. And that's when I sort of got into Linux, just trying to understand what is this world of Linux, how it works, introduction to a terminal. But again, very, very rudimentary sort of intro of Linux and what this other world is. And then reading, that was my brother's like, his two big pieces of advice were, A, you got to pay your dues, right? So nothing's free, so always pay your dues. And then B, read as much as possible. So that's what I pretty much did through high school and talking to other friends who were in the, in, into computers. Again, not necessarily programming, but just playing around with machines, either doing graphics or websites. But this ends up being a side thing for you, right? I mean, like you're... Your education is in art and dance. That's what you're being educated for at this point, right? That's must have been an interest. I'm, I'm imagining that you enjoyed it if you did that for four years. And then you go home, and are you spending every day when you come home on this computer? Was it just when you had nothing else to do? Are you playing video games? Or I just want to try to get a sense of as you're about to graduate university, where's your head in terms of the next step? Was it in dance and art? Was it going to be technical and following your brother? So kind of going into your senior year and now having to make a decision. Yeah. So, so yeah. So it wasn't like every day, hey, I'm, I'm behind a machine. There was definitely that interest, right? And as I learned more about IT, there was, and at that point I was playing more with Linux, there was still that interest of like, oh, this is great. How do I automate things? How do I, you know, there was that wow factor that sort of lived in me, like being able to, keeping in mind the whole clicking, you know, mindset, just being able to click one thing and then have this machine do a bunch of things for you, right? What that was, I wasn't really sure. I wasn't really sort of thinking about what the possibilities were, but the idea of sort of being able to step back and, and let this machine do something was great. I want to interrupt you for a second there. I want to, this is why I love these kind of interviews because things come up. So two things here, is this need or want for automation due to laziness? or due to just wanting to be efficient? Those are two really specific words. Was it about efficiency or was it about laziness? 
Uh, neither. It was all about, wow, wouldn't it be cool if I could come onto this machine and then press one thing and it does everything that I'm doing? So I guess efficiency, but I didn't really put it in those terms. It was just, it was that wow factor that made it so interesting to me, right? And what goes into that to make that happen? So what gets interesting to me then is, is there a concept of automation in art? Does this concept exist anywhere else? Because I feel like you were ingrained with it, but where did it come from? Because if you were saying to me, yeah, I mean, we, I tried to automate my dance in a way. I tried to auto, automate my art. I tried to automate my, like, where did this idea come from? Because I can't imagine it was just isolated to the computer side. And I just find it fascinating that you had this need there, this excitement there. Does it show up anywhere else in your life? When you put it like that, I guess I, I think it kind of boils down to more towards the efficiency side, right? Or just thinking about my routines. I have my daily routines that I run through and looking at it like that, it's like, hey, how do I make this easier for myself and anyone else, right? And there's the community in me, like the, the whole idea of community is big because every time I think of any project or, or anything I kind of work on, it's like, how does this help me and how does it help others, right? So to sort of boil that back to your original question, whether you can automate an art, and I don't really know, but I think I would probably say yes in the sense of you have this just general routine, right, of something that you do and it becomes so natural. You do it so often that you don't even think about it, right? So I think, you know, at that point, it's like not necessarily automation, but it's with experience. You just kind of go in, you do what you need to do, and, and, and you move on to the next thing, right? So that's how I sort of equate it. And for me, going back to being nine, I remember like thinking like, wow, wouldn't it be cool to do this, right? And, it, and I, I think it was probably more that wow factor then that over time just sort of grew into what it is that I like to do, which is build things that help me and eventually help others. But what I love is that you saw the possibility of it when you were in front of the machine. Like, whether you knew how to do it or not, right, you saw the possibility of it, that the possibility of being able to hit one button and a whole bunch of things happen. And I find that super interesting at nine years old to already be thinking about the efficiency. How do I make things more efficient? I, I think there could be efficiency in art because if I'm drawing something and I know all the strokes that I have to do to take that, Right. I think you're saying there's experience and then wisdom in that and dance and all of it. It's just interesting to me because I don't have that art side. Let's go back to or right, go on. What are you gonna say? I don't have much of an art side either. I took it, but you know, that doesn't mean that high school high school in New York, I would say that I probably wasn't I wasn't a bad student, but I definitely wasn't a student that I was more into dance than I was art. So we'll put it like that. So you're a senior, right? So we're you're a senior now and you've got to start thinking about What's coming after high school? So was college on your radar for the next step? Like I think most of us kind of just default thinking it's going to be university. And then was it dance? Like what were you thinking in terms of next step after high school? So it's always been computers. So one thing I sort of glossed over with the, with the high school thing is while I, most of my classes were around dance and art, and not so much in technology. Technology, playing with machines, was a big thing at home, right? Again, not wasn't doing anything fancy, or at least I didn't, you know, nothing to this to what I'm doing today. 
but there was always this interest. I applied to a few internships in high school, tech related, and I ended up getting one for New York City, ended up not taking it to become a doorman, which is a whole different story. <laughs> oh, we're not bypassing that. Yeah, that, that was all right. <laughs> but I worked with the, with the community teacher. I was his assistant for my last two years. And so I worked in the administration office there, helping him do what he needs to do. And then, you know, helping out the office with any tech related things, you know, at that point, it was sort of support, little desktop support. And then his administrative assistant was going to Hunter, not to Hunter, to uh, LaGuardia for computers. So I learned from him a little bit about programming. Also, again, from my brother, his exposure to the world in IT and also the systems that he dealt with. So he got a glimpse of what was going on there, my reading. So by senior year, I already knew that I was going to go to a comp sci, I was going to do a comp sci program at a university with the interest of going into going into robotics, right? Because it's like, to me, I was like, oh, if I'm going to automate, then chances are robotics is where I want to be. And that was my mentality. So you really were engaged in the computer side of things at school, just not as a class, but part of the administration to the point where you even started applying for what? That was summer internships? Yep. To try to get some um, experience. Yeah. Okay. So... Really cool. All right. So now you choose university, right? So I imagine you go to university and you start your computer science degree. Did you end up finishing that degree, a four-year degree? So tell me a little bit about what you learned at university and then kind of a little bit of that. And how much of that do you think is helping you today? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so awesome. So university-wise, yeah, I did, I did end up getting a bachelor's in computer science I had applied to NYIT, the New York Institute of Technology, by Columbus, out of Manhattan, Columbus Circle. And I did a year there. And then I ended up, and I ended up leaving to go to uh, CCNY, City College of New York. And my main reason for leaving was that the CCNY had a capstone project and a mentor and a sort of a mentorship program in ComSci, which I thought would be great to have, right? Backing up a little bit of NYIT, I met some great people there and we did a lot of C and C++ programming in our classes and really enjoyed it. We had a good little group getting a lot of the fundamentals down, like data structures and assembly. We even took a web programming class, but I was turned off because a lot of the students that I interacted with, not to generalize anyone, but a a good number of students that that I interacted with were more focused on getting the work done and trying to like copy what other people were doing as opposed to actually trying to figure out how to solve problems. There was only a few of us that, that did. And that it definitely left a bad taste in my mouth for the school. So I ended up leaving and went to CCNY. And some of my other friends who were at NYIT also ended up coming to CCNY. And that's where it really got interesting. I met a lot of folks who were into programming. I joined the open source group there. Funny enough, we were building images for the scientific community, this project called Doyen. We had this open source project to build an image for folks. And here I am now building, writing Packer, which builds images <laughs> and containers for, for any platform. So it's very interesting how, to see how that's come full circle. So university-wise, I thought it was a great, a great experience. I have a lot of exposure that I got to different people, the teachers, the students, 
different things that they were working on. And my short answer for me is like, not really. One way or another, you have to get the education, right? Whether you get it in school or you get it outside, you kind of have to get it, right? I think, yeah, we don't use trees on a daily basis. Well, some people do, but the typical developer doesn't, right? And But that doesn't mean you should understand how they work, right? I think there's a, good, a lot of good perspective that can be gained by understanding data structures and just sort of the theories behind computer science, right? So let me, let me interrupt you for a second. So what I'm hearing is that you weren't having the engineering conversations you wanted to at the original university. People were just about getting the assignments done one way or the other, but not necessarily caring overall how it worked and the engineering that went into it. So you got that side of it at the other school, which is really, I think, great. Like, if you know me, I'm always pushing design philosophy and guidelines and understanding why you're doing something, right? So you're getting that at the end of the university. But you're graduating university then around 2005, right? Yep. So to put the thing in perspective, really, I mean, I don't know what the boot camp market looked like in 2004, 2005 either, or even in 2000 when you start university. Like, it may not have really have been an option, right? Like university, at least still, maybe today university isn't an option. I think I can almost make an argument that university, if you're not somebody who you know is going to succeed in university, I struggle in university, but in 1987, that was your next step, right? I struggled through it. I don't know if you really had other options to get the education you needed for the job market you were going to in 2004. So, but my real question then is, if you were graduating from university today, <laughs> with hindsight, would you still go after the four-year university degree? Or would you try to go down this other alternate path and, and maybe shortcut that by a year or two? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And I would say yes, that I would go the university route, but I won't go the university route with the expectation that it is for, you know, to prepare me for the job, right? And I say that because one of your questions was like, hey, your experience with education, what would you differently or was it enough? I don't think it's enough, right? I think I am where I am today, not because of the schooling that I had, but more so about the hustle outside of school, right? Like me coming home, learning to program on the side, me learning about Linux, talking with people outside of school to figure out, you know, how things work. That's what sort of helped me get to where I am today, right? And that's why I'm all big about community and growing relationships because academics, they're great. Like, hey, would I do it again? The reason why I say yes is because I look at the university, well, pre-COVID, as an opportunity to socialize, interact, get different levels of experiences in one location, right? Like you can sit down, yes, you can. You have this opportunity to learn great things, but for me, the real takeaway is the people around you, right? The opportunity, the lessons that you learn from them. So that's why I sort of value the university. And it's why I'm really pushing my kids to go away to school because that's 50% of your education right there, being on your own, being responsible, meeting people, relationships. I agree. But 
let's be fair, right? In 2005, you're graduating university. The job market's actually pretty good in 2005 because this is really the beginning of what's happening in Silicon Valley in a sense. I started a business in 2004, which ended up failing in 2008. And when I think about all the businesses that started around there, I think Instagram might be in that list. And I look back, there was a job market. Now, it all collapsed in 2008 and nine, right? So my question is, there is a job market out there, I think in 2005. Companies are starting up. We're going about to have a, at least three years of a tech boom there. If, or maybe we're in the middle of it. I don't remember all the history. But do you think your college university degree helped you for that first job? Because that first job, at least today, it is ridiculously hard to get, right? Even my company, we're consulting and contracting. My clients want a year of experience, right? They're coming to us because they need the experience. They want people with that year of experience. I don't know where you go today. I don't know of companies that are hiring somebody just out of university. So back in 2005, maybe, I, I don't know. So I want you to talk to me about that first job. How long did it take to get it? Do you think your university degree helped or didn't matter? Kind of go through that first job that you got out of university. Yeah, my first job, my first job after university happened, I want to say maybe within the, the first six months of after graduating. And I think did my degree help? I think from the fact that most companies then were saying, hey, you have to have some sort of CS, at least on the job application, or I mean, on the job description, a BS in, in, in computer science or some sort of degree in dealing with computers or, you know, I think that was probably to the extent of it. So my first job, I was working for a marketing company, email marketing company, writing backend services in PHP. Prior to that, I wrote PHP on my own, like for a small project, for a small website that we ended up using for a capstone project. And that, that was my only knowledge of PHP. When I got in there, I was nervous as hell because I had just gotten this job to write PHP and I didn't know much of it. But I was already familiar with programming. So when I interviewed, the questions were just simple, simple questions, most of which I got wrong. But the fact that when I spoke to the engineers, they saw that I was I had some knowledge in programming and that I was humble enough to say, hey, I don't know how to do that. And usually when I don't know how to do something, I will ask the folks around me to see what they know and then how to figure out the problem. And that actually, I think that was enough for the like, yeah, we can work with this guy. So again, did the schooling necessarily prepare me? I did not, the academic side, I didn't do, the stuff that I learned in school didn't directly correlate with the stuff that I was working on. So it's possible that it did because, because of the exercises that we got in school, I had more exposure to different programming exercises. So that was already, that already helped me be comfortable enough to write, sit down and write code. But if you're someone who's not in a university and you're writing code on your own and you're comfortable writing in whatever language, then I would say that that would be just as enough to get that same job. But I think you got the job. I don't think you got the job because of your tech skill, right? You got the job because of your engineering skills in terms of design, guideline. Like the reason you went to, what was it, CCNY, right? Was because that was the education and the experience you wanted to get. I think that's what got you the job, right? Right. 
We already know that for most of the tech that you're learning in university, if you're looking to go into a business role, right? On the academic side, maybe that's different. Whatever tech you're working on right now isn't necessarily the tech you're going to be working on at that first company. You have to prove that you can learn it, right? Like what I got in my degree that I started in in, uh, 87 was problem solving from a blank slate without the internet, right? How do you solve a problem that has all these unknowns? That's what I learned. I think you learned a lot of the same stuff, which is, I think, gets you that first, that first job. Was that like one of the first interviews you did? How long did it take you to get that first position where they took a chance on you? Yeah. So just to touch on your point there, why you think I got the job? I, I agree. Again, I think that kind of goes back to that exposure, that experience, right? And a lot of it I happened to get while I was at the university. I personally feel like that's, also, that's experience that you can get outside of the university as well. You come to the table, you know, with that mindset and have had that ex- those levels of experiences. I think if me interviewing someone and boot two candidates came from that perspective, you know, one at a university, one that did it, and they, and they were on the same level when it comes to that, the university wouldn't be the deciding factor for me. Agreed. But do you really think that in a three month boot camp, you could have gotten what you got out of three years? of university in terms of education around engineering. I don't know if you could have gotten what you got in those three years, in three months. I work with folks who've come out of the bootcamp and they're amazing, right? And I think I think it goes back to hustle and drive, man. Like if you really want something and you're really interested, whether it be three months and you're putting the time and effort, I think you can make it happen. It's gonna be a lot harder in a three month window, I'll tell you that much three months versus four years for sure. But at the end of the day, if you go to the university and you're doing nothing but classwork, that is probably not enough. If you're going into a boot camp and you're doing nothing but the boot camp exercises, that is probably not enough. I think you need to put in more effort and push the bar when it comes to learning and understanding what's going on so that you get that exposure. So that when you come to the table, you have had different perspectives, right? And when I say push, that's not enough. I don't necessarily mean you have to write more code or do more work. I think it's about getting getting different perspectives, learning from others, right? Working with others, having those all those experiences that you would get working on a small code base, a simple project, so that when you come to the job, you can show that, hey, I can problem solve, I can work with folks, I can explain things technically, and we even bring them down for those who may not understand what I'm talking about. So to your question, like three months versus four years, I think four years, you probably have the advantage only because of it's spread out over time. But three months, you can do some serious damage in three months, right? It's just a matter of how much time and effort you put in. Is it also then going to depend on the people you have around you? So in other words, I think because of your brother, because of some of the experience you had at school with teachers, that maybe you would have been fine with a three or four month boot camp because you had already been training for 10 years with your brother, right? So the theme I'm hearing is that it's the collaboration with the right people that become really, really important. And what I love about where you are right now with HashiCorp, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump a little bit. We got 20 minutes left, so I'm going to jump a little bit here. I remember when we were talking a little bit about you going to HashiCorp, how excited I was. And it wasn't because of the tech. It was because of the people that are there, right? So do me a favor. 
Let's talk about the job you had before this HashiCorp job. Let's just fast forward from that first job. And how many jobs did you have in between? Between, say, that first job, which you got around 2005? Maybe very quickly, timeline. How long were you at that first job? You're there for a year or two? Or? I was at the first job a little over a year. After that, I ended up working at Nikon for about seven years. Wow. Yeah, well, a little a little shy of seven. And that actually, I, I, so I came in as a software administrator, and then, which turned into an operations role. My focus was helping the teams in the U.S. and Japan essentially deploy their code in a CI environment, writing scripts and figuring out how I can help them automate their workflows around Perforce. After that, I got into Condé Nast, and that was about... Well, wait, wait, slow down, slow down a second. You're there seven years, dude. You're there seven years. So we're talking basically 2007 to 2014, give or take, right? It was actually shy of seven. I started in 2007, and I ended up leaving in 2013. All right, 2013. I mean, the world is completely different in seven years, okay? I mean... Go now exists at this point, right? Like cloud is big, all of these things. But spending seven years somewhere to me is a double-edged sword. It's good if you're progressing and still every two years or so getting to work on some new tech. That seven years, a lot changes in those seven years. So quickly, why do you decide after seven years it's time to leave? Was it just an opportunity presented itself? Was it the tech you wanted to get into? What happens there? Yeah, so I learned a lot in those seven years. Like I said, I learned a lot more about automation. That's where I sort of learned my philosophy around around automation. First, try to try to do it manually before you try to automate it because I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to automate things for the team to understand in, the, in that, I came to learn, hey, these are the things I can and cannot do in an automated fashion, right? And some of those things, when I say the manual intervention, at Nikon, we had lots of processes in place. So there's certain things that we can do, we could do to automate a point in the case of like building binaries and shipping them across teams. But when it came to packaging and, and signing binaries, that was all of a manual. That was all manual, right? So we couldn't go past that. So why I ended up leaving after six and a half years, I hit a wall. You know, I felt like there was a lot of things that I had learned working with the engineering teams in both the U.S. and Japan that I thought we could do a little more efficiently, but I didn't have the support for some of those things from the higher-ups. And what I learned at that point, is like, well, if I don't have that support, then there's only so far we could actually take this because at the end of the day, we need their support in order to push the bar forward. And Around that time, you know, coming to that realization, I've also got introduced to meetups, which is where I actually got end up getting my next job. I went to a meetup about the Obama administration where they were talking about the tech that they use and how they how they were able to run his campaign. And then I met someone there from Condé Nast, which is where I went to after after Nikon. So knowing that I hit this wall and then speaking with folks at Condé Nast, they were interested in bringing me on to lead up the operations team which I was going to automate their development environment using Vagrant and figuring out how to take 
their infrastructure that was running on Engine Yard and bringing it to AWS. So I was like, oh, so there's an opportunity to learn about a whole set of technologies that I've never played with, right? That were very different from what I'm doing now or what I'm working with now, which is really great. You know, we did a lot of Perforce and Confluence work, Jenkins work, a lot of great stuff doing there that was happening there. But it was an opportunity to learn more and then be closer to the city. I was living in Queens, commuting out to Long Island, which was weird for me because I'd never been to Long Island up until I got a job there, right? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're in the opposite direction. Yeah. All right. So let me push you there a little bit. So how long are you at this company? What things did you succeed at there? What things were you not able to accomplish? And then how long were you there? Because now we're talking 2014, roughly. So we're six years out from where you are right now. Yeah. So Conde, I had a good run at Conde. I want to say maybe five, six years. So you're at HashiCorp from that job then? So, yes. So I yeah, so, yeah, so. Wow. When you commit to a company, you're in. Like, this isn't a joke. Yeah. I'm loyal, man. I'm loyal. You know, I join companies for a reason, right? Because I like them, not because I'm like, hey, I need a, I want a job, right? Well, is that, do you think that's a privilege to be able to say that and all your hard work is gotten you to that point, right? Like, I hear what you say. Like, we all would love to just work at the companies we want to work at because of X, Y, and Z, but not everybody has that luxury, right? Absolutely. And when I said it, I'm like, huh, I was like, that's a hell of a privilege right there. So yes. But you earned that privilege. I don't want to back out there. Like, From my perspective, hearing your story up to this point, you made a lot of good decisions. You did a lot of, of the right things. You stayed on the right track. I mean, you earned that, like you can earn privilege, like you, you earned that privilege, which is fantastic and you continue to do so. So I think it's awesome. And part of this podcast and telling these types of stories is so people who are at different stages of their life and career can hear from people like you about the decisions you made and where you went. So everybody can have that choice at some point to say, I'm, I'm going to work here because of the people. So I think that's awesome. Thanks. <laughs> I want to hear that. Like to me, that's success that you got to a point where you get to choose where you're going to work because you earned it, right? I want everybody to have that, that same ability at some point. You, you got there really, it took you 20, 15 plus years, but you got there, right? Yeah. Like, that's amazing. So, okay. So we got uh, 12 minutes left. I want to finish this story. So right. you're five years in at this company. What makes you decide it's time to now go to HashiCorp at this point? So what made me decide HashiCorp? Well, HashiCorp, right? It's HashiCorp that made me decide, right? So, and I say it that way because I've always wanted to work for HashiCorp from the moment it got started. When I started working with Vagrant and Packer, I'm like, oh man, this is great. Like they're doing what I want to do. They're automating, right? They are like, if you think of Vagrant Up, right? It's not a click, but Vagrant Up is one command. It spins up a machine, it provisions it, and suddenly you have this environment to work in. Packer, same thing, you give it a config. So always wanted to work for the company. And I wanted to work for the company because A, now I will say you you had mentioned like Go had came out when I was at Nikon, and that is absolutely correct. I completely ignored Go when I was at Nikon and I ignored it halfway through Condé Nast and how I got into Go has nothing to do with nothing to do with me being like fully interested in it at first. But yeah, so with Condé, 
great team. I really enjoyed the experience there. I learned so much from AWS, how to work with AWS. I learned how to work with teams, with tools like Vagrant. I learned more about continuous integration and delivery. I learned about the fashion world, video. There was nothing that I didn't actually like about Condé Nast. It was like any job, it has its ups and downs, but it was an amazing place to work. Awesome team, learned a lot from them. But you're a fan of the HashiCorp tech and this opportunity comes up to be able to work at this company that you're a big fan of, right? Yes. So that, and I forget what blog post it was, but I think most of us sort of struggle with the idea like, oh, am I really happy with what I'm doing, what I'm working on? Is this what I want to work on? And I think this is where Go comes in. My introduction to Go was a good friend of mine who asked me to join him at the Gotham Go conference. I didn't know anything about Go, but he wanted someone to go with him. So I joined him. I like, okay, great. Had some great talks there. The next year round, I was like, oh, maybe I'm going to go again this year. I really enjoy the conference. Maybe I should start learning a little Go. This is 2015, 2016 then, right? Something like yep. that? Okay. So started learning a little Go. And then I went back to the conference. And immediately, I saw the same people there. Gotham Go was really small then. Probably less than 100 people, probably, or no more. But I think the, the auditorium fits like 150. At least it did then. So... But the fact that I saw the same people, I was like, oh, this is cool because now I could, knowing what I know about Go and it's sort of why it was created and the fact that the community is small, I can actually have an opportunity to meet these speakers and actually learn from them. In fact, Bill, that's where I met you. I won the Go in Action book and you happened to sign it and we were talking. So my first thing, like I want to continue, I want to get into this community was the fact that I went to Gotham Go and I saw the same people there. and then. There was the talk from Katrina Owen about exorcism and how she was building this platform and how it was written in Go, with the CLIs were written in Go. And I was like, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. This is what I want to build. So started helping her out by, you know, looking at the PRs, seeing all the issues, seeing how I could help. And she did a great job shepherding me into the exorcism to, uh, code base and allowing me to open up PRs. And I got really involved with that, so much so that at Condé, I was doing open source work when I should be doing other work. <laughs> this is a problem, right? So I was like, I could, I was like, so how do I get Go into Condé, which I eventually did, but that's a different story. Or how do I figure out how to continue to work with the open source stuff? So I, I did a lot of more open source work and I ended up introducing Go to Condé NAS for a larger project. and then. I ended up meeting Paul Ting, who was my boss when I joined HashiCorp for the Terraform providers at a GoBridge event. I had already got involved with the Go community, mostly from doing GoBridge and Go meetups. And you could sort of connect the dots. I met folks that eventually brought me back to HashiCorp. So I applied and then HashiCorp happened. When they were asking me why, I was like, well, HashiCorp wants to hire me. Like, that was it. Like, I, I had no other reason other than it's HashiCorp. Gotcha. So in the last six minutes we have, and this theme, maybe it's because of the people that I'm interviewing right now, people that I know from the Go community, but uh, in the last, uh, like, five minutes that we have, how important has meetups and conferences been for people who are maybe a little more introverted 
How important can Slack be? How important it is, is it, do you think, to have these relationships? And how can people develop them, especially if they're introverts, if it's important? Yeah, I think personally it's very important. I, again, I, I attribute a lot of the success that I've had to the people that I've met with, within the community. I am where I am now in the Go community because of the meetups, my interactions at the job. So I think not to use me as a, as, as a sole example, but I think when it comes to meetups and conferences, they're very important because of the perspective and the various levels of experience that you get, right? You get to see the world from different people's perspectives without actually having to live it. And I think that for me is the biggest takeaway from these meetups and from conferences. And I always like to recommend to people who are sort of in, new to the industry or wanting to get more to learn or up their, their knowledge a bit to join meetups or conferences that have nothing to do with the languages that they work on because it's those outside perspectives that you get that you can learn something from and then bring back and then change how you do things or change how others are doing or or build the top or build on top of right i think go to use it as an example is perfect in that sense because if you listen to the talks about from rob pike uh, you know when they talk when they built go they took all these different parts from different points from different languages and figure out this is what works well and this is what we want to use right and so if you, if you use that and think about how does that, as an analogy for meetups, it's the same thing. You're kind of going out there, you're speaking to people, getting all these bits and pieces, and it's helping you as an individual grow. And at the same time, you are going to meet people who will help you change your future as you will help them, right? Because you're all working in the same industry, and chances are you're going to run into each other once again, and you're going to be in a position to help them, or they're going to be in a position to help you. So last three minutes here. You're at HashiCorp. You've been there now for two years? Yeah. Going on two years. Two years in January. So that means you got at least another uh, decade before you leave. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just in the last couple of minutes that we have here, where would you like to see yourself in the next three to five years? You're young. You're a young guy. You've got 10 professional years already in the industry, right? I mean, you got at least another 20 to go. If you stay interested, what's your goal? Do you have any goals right now? Are you looking maybe to start a company one day? You're looking to be the CTO? You just want to be an engineer for the rest of your life, just hedge down, banging it out? Yeah, it's a great question. And son, I always think about, I don't have a concrete answer. I don't want to start a business. I ran a business in college, like a, a sole proprietorship before Nikon. That's how I got through college. And I realized I don't want to be a business owner. It's a lot of work. So I'm like, eh, it's not for me. I really want to be more involved with GoBridge. I think that's a conversation for you and I to have on the side. But at the end of the day, I really like the idea of taking what I know and paying it forward, right? And I think it, it always makes me happy to see that I've helped others and it also helps me sort of level up, right? So I think at the end of the day, what my path is, is really figuring out how to use the community that I have, the job that I have is HashiCorp, sort of as a platform to help the communities around me and those that are willing to listen level up and be an influence in that sense. So it sounds to me, my dad was a musician and he passed up tons of promotions because he wanted to be home at five every day and he wanted to be able to play his music. And his music was more important than the level of wealth that he could have acquired. And he took care of us. So like it all works out, right? 
mean, kind of what I'm hearing from you is I want to always be in a position to be able to have that time to give back whatever the job is. I just want to be in a position to be able to do it. I love that because that's kind of what I'm doing, trying to keep myself in a position to always be able to give back to the fullest, right? Yeah. So I love that. Mm-hmm. No, and it's great. Again, it, it's so cool that we happen to live in the same state and, and so we can have these conversations and, and talk about these things. But I think my biggest challenge now is how, how to get involved or how to make it happen with everything else that's going on. Work, life, home life, That how to keep that balance and still at the same time pay it forward on a larger scale. I mean, I try to pay it forward as best as possible from, from home. Again, remote meetups when I can, people I meet on the not necessarily in Florida, but back in New York, folks that I would meet help how to pay it forward there. But now I think the biggest question is, how do I do that from where I am now, right? And what that looks like. Well, maybe we'll talk again in a year and we'll see uh, see what, what more you've learned. But we got our hours up. Thank you so much, Wilkin, for spending an hour with us here talking about your journey all the way to uh, where you are now, where you're going. I love these stories. I think they're going to help people at all stages of where they are in life right now. Just like you said, those conference talks give us a perspective that we don't see. I think these conversations do too. I really appreciate you sharing today. Awesome, man. Happy to be here. Thanks for setting this up. I really hope it's helpful to other folks and happy to dive into any little side stories that I might have like glossed over at any point in time. All right. And we'll make sure on the notes, people know they got your Twitter contact information and things like that. They want to talk. I know you're incredibly friendly and you'll give people time that they need. So this is Bill Kennedy with the Arden Labs podcast. Thank you again for hanging out with us for an hour and I'll see you again soon.